Hello and welcome to Sonnetcast, William Shakespeare sonnets recited, revealed and relived. I am Sebastian Michael and this is Sonnet 16. But wherefore do not you a mightier way make war upon this bloody tyrant time and fortify yourself in your decay with means more blessed than my barren rhyme. Now stand you on the top of happy hours, and many maiden gardens yet unset, with virtuous wish would bear your living flowers, much liker than your painted counterfeit. So should the lines of life that life repair, which this time's pencil or my pupil pen, neither in inward worth nor outward fare, can make you live yourself in eyes of men. To give away yourself keeps yourself still, and you must live drawn by your own sweet skill. The riveting and really rather irony-infused Sonnet 16 directly follows on from Sonnet 15 and completes the argument set up and semi-resolved there. And while Sonnet 15 can just about stand on its own, with, as we have seen, quite thrilling significance for how it can then be read, Sonnet 16 absolutely needs to be read with Sonnet 15 for it to make sense, and we shall do so in just a moment. But first of all, what does Sonnet 16 actually mean? But wherefore do not you a mightier way make war upon this bloody tyrant time? At the end of Sonnet 15, I... William Shakespeare, tell the young man that I am in a war with time for love of you, and that I, by implication using my pen as a poet, engraft you new as he, time, hastens your decay. And here now I continue, but why do you not use a more powerful way than the one I have just described in the previous sonnet to fight your war against this bloody tyrant time, and fortify yourself in your decay with means more blessed than my barren rhyme, and fortify yourself against this decay with means that are more likely to succeed than these empty verses that I am writing for you and the barrenness or emptiness of the verses, quite apart from whether or not this is meant ironically, most likely refers to their potency rather than their intention, and very soon we will come upon two instances where Shakespeare considers his rhyme anything but barren. Now stand you on the top of happy hours. Now you are at the height of your powers, your beauty, your status, and many maiden gardens yet unset, with virtuous wish would bear your living flowers, and many a young woman who is as yet a virgin would virtuously wish to bear your metaphorical flowers, meaning your children. In Sonnet 3, Shakespeare asked the young man rhetorically, For where is she so fair, whose uneared womb disdains the tillage of thy husbandry? 
This in tone and imagery is similar. The potential prospective mother is likened to an as yet unseeded garden which is ready for beautiful flowers to be planted there. And here again it is stated as obvious that there are any number of women who would want this to happen by this particular young man, which simply suggests that he has all these powers of which we've been speaking for so many sonnets now, that he's rich, powerful, of high status, that he's a good catch, that he is an eligible bachelor who should get on with it and marry. So it goes... And many maiden gardens yet unset with virtuous wish would bear your living flowers much liker than your painted counterfeit. Your living flowers, your children, would look much more like you than any painting of you. There may be a double meaning intended that also says they, the virginal maidens, would much prefer to receive a child from you than a painting. They would like this much more. It was not unusual at all at the time for lovers or the betrothed to give, receive and then keep lockets with pictures of each other. And counterfeit here simply means a copy of the original, not necessarily one made to deceive someone, although a suggestion that any painting of the young man would not be able to do justice to its original is very likely also intended. Interestingly, paintings as a means to preserve the young man's beauty have not really entered the discussion before, and so we will look into this in a little bit more detail shortly. So should the lines of life, that life, repair. In this manner, the continuing line of life, your lineage, will be able to keep up and restore you to your erstwhile beauty. We've already had repair to mean maintain and keep in good order and shape before in Sonnet 10, where Shakespeare tells the young man that to repair his house should be his chief desire. Which this time's pencil or my pupil pen, which this what I have been talking about, the metaphorical pencil of time and my unschooled inadequate writing, and we will come to the surprising appearance of Time's pencil in a moment, as it merits a bit of further discussion as well. Neither in inward worth nor outward fair, neither in terms of your inner worth or substance, nor of your outward beauty, can make you live yourself in eyes of men, can do you justice and represent you as you really are, live yourself for everyone to see in eyes of men. To give away yourself keeps yourself still. Giving yourself away, here specifically as in marrying someone with the expected and fully intended giving of yourself in the act of producing a child, maintains you forever, or certainly for the foreseeable future. Shakespeare uses still to mean continuously, every so often. And you must live, drawn by your own sweet skill. And you must continue to live, drawn not by an artist or by time's pencil, which will come to, nor by my words, which are all inadequate, but by your own beautiful art. And this sweet skill may be read quite abstractly as the young man metaphorically painting an image of himself by fathering a child. Knowing Shakespeare, though, 
it very likely is also a description of the act of fathering itself. The poet has by now, we are aware, developed a soft spot for the young man, and while there is absolutely no indication as yet that they have become close, let alone intimate, it is far from implausible that Shakespeare is describing the young man's sexual skills as sweet, to mean essentially good and roundly enjoyable. And so now, before we continue, let us have a listen to these two sonnets back to back, because they do form a unit. When I consider everything that grows holds in perfection but a little moment, that this huge stage presenteth naught but shows whereon the stars in secret influence comment. When I perceive that men as plants increase, cheered and checked e'en by the selfsame sky, vaunt in their youthful sap, at height decrease, and wear their brave state out of memory, then the conceit of this inconstant stay sets you, most rich in youth before my sight, where wasteful time debateth with decay to change your day of youth to solid night, and all in war with time for love of you, as he takes from you, I, in graft you knew. But wherefore do not you a mightier way make war upon this bloody tyrant time, and fortify yourself in your decay with means more blessed than my barren rhyme? Now stand you on the top of happy hours, and many maiden gardens yet unset, with virtuous wish would bear your living flowers, much liker than your painted counterfeit. So should the lines of life that life repair, which this time's pencil or my pupil pen, neither in inward worth nor outward fair, can make you live yourself in eyes of men. To give away yourself keeps yourself still, and you must live, drawn by your own sweet skill. If there was any suggestion in Sonnet 15 that the poet could offer the young man an alternative to sexual propagation, this here now is slammed down rather forcefully. Whence stems the impression that William Shakespeare may be being somewhat ironic. That he doesn't really think his rhyme is barren is already fairly clear from the way he celebrates, deploys and elevates it and we are only two sonnets away from the most astonishing assertion of a poet's output's longevity, so we get an early indication in this sonnet 16 that perhaps the poet isn't being altogether sincere now with this second half of the argument. And then listen to how he continues. Now stand you 
on the top of happy hours. That is certainly the case, as most likely is the assumption that the young man would have his pick of potential brides if he were inclined to choose one. But then, effectively out of nowhere, comes the notion of a painted counterfeit and the somewhat perplexing idea of time having or using a pencil to draw the young man. Why is this perplexing? The lines that time draws, as Sonnet 2 made abundantly clear and as Sonnet 19 will strongly reinforce, are those of age. They are the traces of time's own passing. Time's pencil, if you want to think of time as an artist, is not one that preserves us in our youth. It is one that gradually ages us. This creates a number of complications for our Sonnet 16 here. The fact that Shakespeare introduces the painting as a possible way of preserving someone's good looks is not particularly upsetting. Although it has nothing to do with anything that's been said before, we may as well simply accept this at face value and say, true, in an age where people are known to give each other lockets with paintings of themselves, it makes sense to say that a young woman would prefer to have a young man's child than just his picture. And importantly, the child would be more like the young father than any picture could ever be, and the joy all round would be infinitely greater if the woman were to receive a child from the young man than merely a painting. So far, so good. It also then makes sense to say that compared to the lines drawn by any artist, the lines of life are bound to be more successful at keeping the young man alive and his life in good repair. So far, still, so good. What, though, of time's pencil? Are we to read this as simply a mistake on the part of the poet? Or are we misunderstanding him? And is he talking about the enduring pencil of a timeless artist in some way? Or is he, as some editors suggest, talking about today's pencil, the way an artist depicts you today when you are young, that is capable of maintaining your youth? This would be possible, but it would make it necessary to completely ignore the brackets that the typesetter of the quarter edition has put around this time's pencil and my pupil pen. And it is, as we know, entirely possible that they were put there in error and that Shakespeare never had them on his manuscript page. All of this is absolutely possible. But even though brackets do appear every now and then in the sonnet's original publication, they are still comparatively rare and quite specific. They are far less likely to be used mistakenly than a comma, for example. So, what is going on here? We simply don't know. What we do know is that halfway through sonnet 16, Shakespeare does not strictly to us, and certainly not obviously, make sense. And it is quite rare for a wordsmith as capable and as inventive as Shakespeare. It could well be that he has fallen victim to somebody else's mishap along the way, such as a typesetter's, and that these lines once made perfect sense. It is also possible that we are missing a contemporary reference that would have made it crystal clear to the young man 
went to us, it is murky. Or it could be the case that Shakespeare is giving up on his task. He just doesn't particularly care about the maiden gardens and the ensuing offspring anymore because he has cottoned on to a completely different and for him much more exciting idea that he can give the young man eternal youth and life beyond death. And so, similarly, this pupil pen so referred to here is surely not sincere. Surely what Shakespeare is saying here is simply, you know and I know that we're done with pretending that I want you to marry right now because what I'm about to write are going to be sonnets like you've never heard or read before and there will be dozens upon dozens of them. That said, he does bring the sonnet to a meaningful conclusion and herein too may lie a message to the young man. This final couplet can so easily, so readily, be read on two levels at least, either in the context of the procreation line of argument, giving yourself to someone else in matrimonial union and making a child, continues your lineage and you must do this yourself using your own sweet skill, or at a higher for want of a better word, platonic level, giving yourself away in love and friendship to another person, such as me, will keep you alive and young and you have to use your own judgment, your own life skill, as today we might call it, to do this and to lead your life. Which one is it? We don't know. We can't be at all certain. It could very well be either and it could just as easily be both. One thing is for certain though, I, the poet William Shakespeare, and you, the young man, we are now, if not in a relationship, then in a constellation that is directly and unambiguously involved. I, the poet, in graft you knew, I, the poet, have ways to keep you alive. Whatever you choose to do, there is an alternative to the way I have been imploring you to adopt all the way through until now. And this alternative is just about to explode into an exquisite, glorious life all of its own. And so I hope you will join me again here on SonnetCast as we recite, reveal and relive the sonnets of William Shakespeare.